Welcome back to another episode of the Strength and Speed Podcast. I'm your host, Mudgear Hannibal Race Pro and Strength and Speed owner, Evan Preparis. This episode is brought to you by Mudgear. Mudgear was the socks everyone was wearing at World's Toughest Mudder. Check them out. You can use code ULTRAOCRMAN. It saves you, I don't know, 20%, something like that, uh, from mudgear.com. Uh, they not only have socks, they have compression shorts, which I wear for a lot of my races. They've also got car seat covers, which I've got one on each of my car seats. So check them out. I'm going to drop a bunch of codes in the show notes, not only for Mudgear, but for Tough Mudder, and then as well for Yoked and Aurora. Uh, all those products, big fans of that I've used for the last couple World's Toughest Mudders. So I'm recording this about a week post World's Toughest Mudder. Been super busy. I wanted to get a guest on the line to kind of have a chat about what I thought of World's Toughest Mudder, but my schedule's just not kind of lining up super well. So I figured I'd just kind of throw some of my own thoughts down on a record here on the Strength and Speed podcast. And then we are going to bring guests on later uh, to talk some of their other opinions on World's Toughest Mudder, but also didn't want to like have a guest on and then dominate the episode by running my mouth on the event. You know, after nine World's Toughest Mudders, I've got some opinions on how things go. So uh, I know there's a lot of talk, and every year uh, I write an article. So for most of them, they were on Mud Run Guide, but I think the last one was on Mud Gear, where I compared this year's World's Toughest to last year's. So I haven't published 2023's yet, but I'm working on it. I did an initial draft. I think that should be coming out on OCR Buddy, probably hopefully within like a week or two of this podcast, so right around Thanksgiving. All right, so let's get into it. Let's talk about this year's World's Toughest Mudder. Uh, the terrain I thought was really nice. It was super runnable. Uh, there wasn't any like loose sand like there was in Laughlin. So I thought that was really nice. It lets you really stride it out. Uh, there was a lot of kind of short uphills and downhills. I don't really remember any massive hills. Um, the one leading up to Operation was, I'd say, probably the biggest one. That kind of sticks out in my mind. But even that wasn't too bad. Very unlike the years when it was in Vegas, when there was just like this massive uphill in the middle of the race. And honestly, you know, with a five-mile course, you can't really get that much uphill, especially if since we're not typically going to ski mountains or we haven't gone to ski mountains at any point. And then with 2024's announcement being in Florida, I expect that to be fairly flat. I did something different this year and actually didn't check into my pit Friday. I should The first time I showed up to the pit was right before the race on Saturday. But what was surprising was on Saturday when the race started, the actual, some of the obstacles were not built, which means the people who did the hot lap didn't get to experience every obstacle. And I know Tough Motor had a bunch of backside issues. You know, I heard some trucks were delayed or there's some weather issues that prevented some building. Uh, bottom line, you know, at a world championship event, when you're building obstacles after the race has started, it's slightly concerning. All that being said, it didn't actually affect the course because those obstacles didn't open until later. It's just not really a good professional look to have. You know, after nine years, and I know, I know, well, actually more than that, because Tough Mudder's been around for, World's Toughest Mudder, this is the 13th year, 12th year, I believe. Um, you hope that some of those kinks would be a little more ironed out. But again, like I've talked about on the podcast before, just because the brand is that old doesn't mean the workers are that old. And a lot of people are only have only been working for the brand for a couple months or maybe even a year or two. Since I helped out with Tough Mudder's Infinite Hero Honor Challenge, a lot of the people I knew from the staff are no longer there. And that was only a little over a year ago. 
So again, not ideal, uh, but again, didn't actually affect the performance of the race, in my opinion. Uh, let's talk weather real quick. Weather was about as nice as you can get for a world's toughest, right? Highs in the 70s, mid-70s, lows in the uh, about mid-50s, maybe in a little bit lower at the overnight. Biggest danger during the day was overheating. With it only 75, the you get warm, but because it was kind of like a cool breeze, didn't really notice it as much, and I think some people didn't quite fuel properly uh, for the heat. I know I had a couple of friends get sick. I heard a couple of people throwing up mid-race, and they had to stop their race short. I think most of those issues had to do with the heat and just kind of not being ready for the heat and not uh, adjusting your diet for the heat. I know in Laughlin in 2021, I was consuming food at my normal rate like I was for all the other world's toughest. And that was one of the first races I felt nauseous at. Uh, for this one, I kind of felt that coming a little bit early as paying a little closer attention to my body. So I actually reduced the amount of food I was eating on those early laps during daytime when it was really warm. At night, it did get cool. I ended up personally put on a neoprene top probably around somewhere between midnight and 2 a.m. I'm not sure of the exact time. Uh, but that was all of the essentially neoprene I used. I mean... I had, a, I had a neoprene hood at one point in my blood mitts, obviously, but as far as a full wetsuit or a shorty, I ended up not using it. Was I cold for parts of it? Yes. But again, if you move, you'll generate a little bit of heat. And then there's also a, there's a line between like, you can be cold and still be fine, not be hypothermic. So as I've talked about before, I like to kind of ride that line because I feel like I'm a little bit faster if I don't have the weight of a wetsuit. I'm also a little bit better at obstacles if I don't have to carry a heavy wetsuit across obstacles but yeah let's jump into the obstacles real quick that was a point of discussion a lot of people were saying they're too hard and actually as someone who typically does little to no penalties at world's toughest i actually did a fair number now does that mean the obstacles are too hard i think we over i think they overcorrected a little bit i think they were a little bit too hard but honestly the majority of them i, th I thought were kind of spot on i just was kind of one or two that i had uh, issues with so I'm going to run through the obstacles real quick, give some feedback as far as like what I think should have been different. Uh, so the first one was well clung. It was the King of Swingers type uh, T-bar into a net, and then you climb down the bottom side of the net. I actually thought this one was really good. I passed it on every lap that I did it for. The only improve I would have had was I think there should have been a platform there to uh, push off of to jump to that T-bar just because it's a little bit awkward when there's like crumbling dirt. Uh, covered in like a tarp to jump off of and I know I'm 5'6 and I felt like I could barely reach the bar so I know people who were shorter than me were definitely having trouble overall I thought it was a good addition I'm moving on to twinkle toes twinkle toes was the balance beam now I really like this one there's a lot a lot of races that stress balance and I think that's an important part of OCR on my first lap that it opened I failed this one because they wouldn't let you do retries because it was a big line but I managed to pass that on every other lap. I like balance obstacles because it provides a challenge, but it's not necessarily physically painful. And I like that both well clung and uh, twinkle toes. If you failed them, you got wet. So I, I really like when obstacles reward obstacle completion and punish you for obstacle failure, both with it with a penalty, but then also with getting wet. I think that's a really good kind of precedent to set. I'm a deaf in one ear, so I wear a hearing aid on one side, which does affect my balance. And I was able to get it uh, essentially on every lap besides that first one. And I think that just has to do with 
uh, practice. So my technique for it, if this comes up again in a future world's toughest, is I go slow and steady up until about the halfway point. And once you get that past the halfway point, the beam, the beam starts really shaking really bad. So once I got to the halfway point and I was kind of closer to the end, I would take a bunch of quick steps, kind of feet pointing out like duck feet, and kind of run across the last uh, 5 to 10 feet, depending how far away I was from the end. Uh, next was Devil's Sack, which is basically Devil's Beer, but you carried a sandbag through it. Again, kind of standard Devil's Beer. It is actually one of the nicer ones we've seen at World's Toughest, much better than the uphill Laughlin one, and much better than some of the ones we saw at Toughest this year, which had like a water crossing mid-Devil's Beard. Next was Snogging Dirt, which is basically Kiss of Mud. Had like a small uphill section. Good. You know, this is the first time you got wet on the course, uh, assuming you managed to pass the first couple of obstacles. After that, Ladder to Hell, pretty standard Ladder to Hell obstacle. And then after that was the Grappler. We haven't seen the Grappler since I want to say 2000. I'm going to go with 15. I might be off by the year, but it was a, I know it was a Vegas venue. This was a much fairer and better version of the Grappler. The one in Vegas, you had to throw it basically completely vertical, and it was a lot harder. This one, you could get fairly, they let us get fairly close to it, and you were throwing it uphill at an angle. I'm still pretty terrible at this one, uh, but some of the tips I got were, one, if you coil some of the rope, you know, the ball at the end of it was not heavy enough to throw the rope with the ball all the way to the top, so you had to throw some rope. I also heard some people essentially lay the rope out in front, uh, close to the obstacle, and then just throw the ball. So the rope was essentially already like right next to the completion point of the obstacle. I failed this one a couple times, um, and then the the obstacle attendant was saying that once you try attempt the obstacle, you can no longer use a bypass band on it, which I've never heard that before. That was a new rule, as far as I know, where. Typically, the bypass bands, you can, if you want to attempt the obstacle and fail, then you can use the bypass band to bypass the penalty. That makes sense to me. It's a bypass. You should be able to bypass the obstacle before or after you fail it. So personally, I didn't really like that rule. It doesn't really make sense to me. But I thought the grappler was a better obstacle. Now, towards the early part of the day, I'd say there was not enough lanes because we had a couple, like, you had to wait a little bit, three or four people. And then this is the first time we'll talk about penalties, right? So the penalty on the grappler was super long. Now, overall, I really like the direction Tough Mudder is heading, especially for World's Toughest. I think challenging obstacles and long penalties is the way to go. Now, yes, that means some people are going to miss their mileage goals, but I think it rewards the obstacle course racer. And I was really happy an experienced obstacle course racer who's been on the podium, who I know was still doing obstacles later in the day, uh, Austin Azar ended up winning the race for the men's side. One of the problems with super hard obstacles and long penalties is if everyone starts failing it, what it turns into is since you might as well not have an obstacle because then everyone's taking the penalty and it's just basically more running mileage, which actually plays to the runner's advantage even more. I don't think Grappler was one of those obstacles. We'll get to the obstacle I think caused that problem, but yeah, we'll get to that in a little bit. Overall, Grappler... Uh, personally don't like it, but I, again, I think it's a good addition, just like I think uh, Twinkle Toes is a good addition. It provides something challenging that's not necessarily the standard, you know, here's another mud pit. Operation? Now, Operation's holes in the, in the wall were a lot smaller than they usually are, which is fine. But what was not fine was if you were on the obstacle within the first 30 minutes of it opening, 
the poles had no hooks on them. So it was just like a flat pole. So I got there, I don't know, maybe 20 minutes after it opened. And you put, I got the pole to the, through the hole all the way to the wall. And it was like almost impossible to get one of the glow rings onto the pole. By the time I came around on the second lap that it was open, they had taped nails to the end of the poles, making it essentially act as a hook. Now they've, they've always had hooks on the obstacle before. It really felt like when I was there the first time that no one had bothered to test this obstacle. So that was a little bit upsetting, but they did make an adjustment on the fly. I like that they make adjustments on the fly, especially for operation, but I think they should have done that for some of the other obstacles. For those of you who want some tips on operation, if you've never done it before, or if it shows up at a future race, so my recommendation is get as close to the metal ring, the hole in the wall as possible, right? Because you being two inches from it is not going to electrocute you. And then when you get the pole in, you basically just keep sliding it through, just focus on not hitting the ring, uh, the metal ring that electrocutes you, until your pole touches the wall. Once it touches the wall, then you drop your head and look through the hole and find a ring. And at that point, you kind of split your focus between staying in the center of the hole in the wall and hooking the ring. And once you get the ring off of the little uh, peg that's on the far side of the wall, you switch your focus again and just focus on bringing the pole back through the hole. Again, I like this one, skill-based, um, fear of electricity. Again, we're playing on different aspects of being an obstacle course racer. I got shocked probably three or four times in the first one when there was no hook on there, and then I managed to pass it every time uh, without getting shocked, without issue. Swinging tips was their just the tip variant. They, I like that they replaced the trailer hitches with uh, essentially flat circles. I thought it had better grip, and when it got a little bit muddy, it wasn't quite as bad as the trailer hitches, which sometimes become impossible. I also like that one of the lanes was low. It's for shorter people. I tried the taller lanes on the first lap or two, and I, I could barely reach. And towards the end of the race, I couldn't reach the taller lane, so I had to use the shorter lane, which eventually got muddy. So I think I failed that, I don't know, maybe twice, maybe three times. I thought it was good, though. I like that on World's Toughest. I think the obstacles for World's Toughest for the grip ones should be short but challenging. When you make super long grip obstacles, it becomes almost impossible to pass, especially later in the race as people's grip fatigue. Dublin Wall, standard uh, wall. Shout out to the uh, Joe and the other guys that were hanging out at Dublin Walls all night, boosting people over. Uh, next one was Dingleberries. Dingleberries was the horizontal cargo net that you traversed. They switched the netting from 2022, which was more of a uh, circular nylon or uh, type net. And this one was like a flat ratchet trap type cargo net. I thought the change in net was harder, so that made it more challenging. And I don't know if this one was longer, but it certainly felt longer. I made it across on the first two laps, and the second time I made it across, my arms were completely pumped out. To me, this is one of the ones that was too hard. I don't think I saw anyone complete it uh, the rest of the night and into the morning. So I think this is one of those ones that was so challenging that essentially turned into not an actual obstacle. So people were either using bypass bands on it or they were just running the long penalty loop. Again, if I was king for the day, I'd switch the netting and make it about half as long. That way people actually do the obstacle. Barrel chested was the Tyrolean Traverse with the barrel in the middle. I like that one. I thought it was good. It was challenging. A little bit harder than a standard Tyrolean Traverse. But I saw people completing this well into the morning. 
Um, so while it was tiring, it was doable. And if, right, if you get really tired, you could go across the top, which is a lot more, much slower. Um, but if your grip's completely shot, it allows you to complete the obstacle while still getting across. Melting point was a new one. It was essentially the tube that tips over and one side was kind of room temperature or air temperature water and the other side was ice water. I thought that was a cool addition. I really like that one. Trench press was a low crawl and then you kind of fall out on the backside into water. Again, that was a cool one, pretty standard. I liked it. Cage crawl was basically the standard cage crawl but with more mop heads. Good. Coach's corner was fun as always. I really like that they they make that one um, have a penalty option with 60 burpees, even though I don't know anyone. I didn't see anyone taking the penalty at any point during the night. But it was essentially a low crawl and then into uh, a cargo net climb over, which was surprisingly challenging just the way it was set up. And then uh, through a essentially like a, another room and then you climb out the backside. And then at some points in the night, they had quote-unquote tear gas, which is not really, it's more like menthol gas pumping through the obstacle. I ended up using the left lane for all of those. And that's just a tip. Find a lane you like on all these obstacles because they'll be different, right? So the left lane had very little rocks on it, so it was really smooth. And at some point, I went to a different lane, and it was terrible. It was like all chewed up rocks, and it was hurting my knees. So if you find a lane you like and you've tried out a couple of the other ones, you know, start, pick that lane and stick with it. I know for a trench press, the low crawl, uh, I think it was the second lane from the right had a bigger gap at the end, allowing people to fall into the water easier. But I think for me personally, the left, the, I think the far left lane I ended up using a lot because it was usually empty and the wires felt a little bit higher on that side so I could crawl a little bit easier. The only bad part was that the far end you had to like squeeze through a tiny hole to get to the outside. So again, it just has to do with testing out a couple lanes and finding one that works for you personally based off of your skill set, your body type and size. And then what you're currently hurting, right? So you, you might want to pick a lane with that's a little bit rockier if the outside is has a bigger opening because you're a bigger person. Or if you're like me, if you're smaller, you know, you may not mind the smaller opening. Also want to give a sh- quick shout out to Coach's Corner. They had Immortal Coffee there. So if you didn't try that, I would highly recommend it. It was so good. They had hot uh, at night and they had cold during the day. I didn't start drinking it until the middle of the night. And it was a nice kind of mid-lap pick-me-up, both for caffeine. Had very little sugar, but it was also nice to kind of get a warm drink into your body in the middle of the night. Also, a quick shout-out, obviously, to Kyle, or Coach, who was out there. Uh, One of his friends is out there dancing again, who's been out there, I think, the last two years. And then if you saw a female out there, athletic-looking, that's Steph Bishop. She was a previous World's Toughest Mother champion. We've had her on the podcast before. I just find it amusing every year that she's out there. I think this is the second second or third year she's been out there dancing, and people have no idea who she is. Like, oh, this World's Toughest Mother champion is just sitting there dancing off to the side. And she wasn't, she's not super big in the OCR scene anymore. She's mostly an adventure racer. But I think it just speaks to the World's Toughest Mother community and the type of environment we have where you have a, a previous champion coming back and essentially volunteering at an obstacle all night. That's just That's just really cool to see. Spunky Monkey was Funky Monkey variant. So it is a... For most of the race, it was an uphill Tyrolean traverse, so up the rope, and then you come down the monkey bar side. At, and around the morning time, they switched it to the opposite, so up the monkey bars and down the Tyrolean traverse. Uh, this is one of the ones I wasn't a fan of. So I would come in and make sure my hands were nice and dry coming into the obstacle, but when you climb up the rope, which everyone's dragging their feet across, 
your hands come out muddy, which means you're going down the monkey bars, your hands were going to be muddy every single time, regardless of how dry they were going into it. So I think I made it across, I don't know, two or three times before I started failing it. <clears throat> For me, I would recommend just starting off with the monkey bar side and going down the rope the entire time. I think when you were going up the rope side, it became so difficult, almost everyone was taking the penalty. Again, this is another one, kind of like Dingleberries, where I saw almost no one do the obstacle uh, towards the second half uh, when it was open with, with the rope side. Once the once they switched to the monkey bar side, I did see Austin Azar go across sometime in there in the daylight hours. So people were going across at that point. But there was a couple hours of the race where essentially it was, in my opinion, out of play just because everyone was taking the penalty at that point. Funky Monkey is one of those obstacles where, again, just getting my personal opinion doesn't necessarily mean I'm right. I think they mess up at World's Toughest every year. Now, Funky Monkey is a hard obstacle. It's one of Tough Mudder's kind of signature challenging obstacles. For a 24-hour race, you know, most people have trouble doing it one or a couple times. If you go to a 12-hour Toughest, most people are not doing Funky Monkey uh, in the second half of the race. So if anything, for World's Toughest, which is 24 hours, to me, you should be making Funky Monkey easier, not harder. I think the best version of Funky Monkey for World's Toughest was 2015. It's monkey bars into a downhill uh, tube, right? So essentially you do the monkey bar part, get your feet inside the tube, and then you slide down. That keeps people doing the obstacle later into the night, which I think is the point of obstacle course racing, right? They always fiddle with Funky Monkey every year for World's Toughest, and they usually make it harder. Like, what was it, uh, last year at Outmore, they had the banana holds at one point. I think I got across that one one or two times. I can't remember now. But again, you don't need to make... There's some obstacles you don't need to make harder. I think you need to make them easier for world stuff so people actually do them. So this doesn't turn into a penalty off. Again, if I was king for the day, I would either leave Funky Monkey as is with the standard rotating uh, rings, or I would change it and make it actually easier so people actually do it. Augustus Gloop was the next one. Augustus Gloop was the version we've seen a couple times this year where essentially it's a circular net that you climb up with water pouring down and then you come down the backside of a cargo net. The net variant I think is harder than the ones we've seen at uh, Vegas and the couple times we've seen it where sometimes it's been a full tube, sometimes it's been a half tube. The only benefit of the net version over the other versions is on the net version you don't have to fully submerge. You essentially can lift the net up and then climb in. The two versions usually have to fully submerge, but in my opinion, that's not as bad as uh, the challenge of climbing the net. The net's a little less sturdy as it kind of swings around as you climb versus the two versions. I thought the footholds were a little bit more secure and a little bit easier to climb. I know my friend Jamie doesn't like the two version, one because of the full submersion at the beginning, but also because she's a little bit taller, so she has a little, a little less room inside the tube. And as a shorter person, one of the few times being short in obstacle course racing is an advantage. I like the tube version because I could fit in there nice and snug and have a nice sturdy handholds and footholds to climb up. Hanging a rough was the next one. That is another one of their rigs. So I actually thought this obstacle was mostly good. It was, uh, I believe, ring, ring, uh, swinging bar into a standing disc and then two banana holds to a bell. So my biggest complaint about this one is the same complaint I had in Atmore which I made it to the end on uh, one or two occasions, and the bell was physically out of reach. So in order to reach the bell, I essentially had to do a pull-up on the last hold to hit the bell. I think you should never make it to the end of an obstacle and not be able to reach the bell. That seems ridiculous to me. 
So I would just adjust some of the placements on the bell. I did think the, I, I did make it across, I think, I don't know, again, two or three times while it was open. I think as they paid attention and the race went on, to me, this is one of the ones that should have been adjusted mid-race. Because at a certain point, I stopped seeing anyone do this obstacle. Um, I saw very few, like the couple times I did get across, I would typically hit the bell and someone would be like, oh, cool, someone got across. You know, and it, <laughs> if that's the reaction of the obstacle attendant or the crowd watching, then that it's a sign the obstacle's probably a little bit too hard. Again, if I was king for the day, I probably would have moved those those uh, banana holds maybe a little bit earlier or spaced them out so it wasn't the banana hold to banana hold at the end. Maybe you have it, you know, ring, banana hold, bar, foot placement, banana hold, ring, and then bell. Overall, not bad, though. Again, I really like the direction they're going with more challenging obstacles and focusing a little more on grip strength versus just, you know, here's more mud pits. Here's another mud pit. All right, now this one is a deep mud pit. Now this is a tall mud pit. Now this is a mud crawl. So I really liked hanging rough, just maybe a couple tweaks on it, and again, paying attention in the middle of the race. If you accidentally made it too hard, adjust it from that point forward and fix those bells. I'm tired of reaching the last hold and missing the bell, which happened in Atmore. It happened a ton, a ton of times for me, and which was super annoying because the final placement on Atmore course in 2022 was one of those foot things so i remember standing on the foot things swinging back and forth and being like i i'm physically too short to reach the bell this is ridiculous and it's not like you can kind of it's kind of hard to pull yourself up on that foothold one mudderhorn another great kind of staple of the course we had the men of mudderhorn there david didier and a bunch of his guys out there and uh, girl helping people boost people up that was cool to see and then finally everest uh, Francis Lackner, who got uh, inducted into the Tough Mudder Hall of Fame, well-deserved. We've had him on the podcast before, and some of his friends helping out at Everest. There was very few people helping out at Everest this year, so that was kind of rough to see because they were they were hurting pretty bad. So what I would like to see, if if you're the type of person who's having a bad race, and you know things don't aren't going your well, and you're like, all right, well, I'm gonna miss my goals. You know, I've it, it, this is just not the day. Rather than going back and sitting in your tent. I would recommend going back out to one of the obstacles, Mudderhorn, uh, Dublin Walls, or Everest. Everest specifically because it is very hard on the staff, not staff, the volunteers there, and helping pull people up. My teammate Wesley Kerr from 2017-2018 World's Toughest when we were both on the course the whole time, I think it was in 2018 on one of the toughest events. He was having a bad race. We were doing it, running individual. He was having a bad race. And instead of just going and calling it a day, he climbed up Everest once and then just never left. And I remember coming around a lap being like, oh, hey, thanks, Wesley. And then I came around the next lap. I was like, why are you still here? And he was like, you know, it was, just wasn't my race. Rather than, you know, have a wasted training day slash you know, kind of waste my time, he's like, I decided to just stay at Everest and help people. And I know for him personally, I remember talking to him afterwards, and he's like, you know, that was really rewarding. And for him, he, he said it was a lot more rewarding than, you know, finishing at a placement that, was not necessarily good for him. So if you're having a bad race, I would consider hanging out at Everest and helping people. I'd also encourage the Everest Angels to start mandating people help one more person. So I know a lot of times uh, I got an elite contender bib, right? So they'll pull me up and a lot of times they'll be like, well, Evan, you keep going because you're an elite contender. And I usually listen to them. But there was uh, once or twice where I came up and they're like, can you stick around and pull someone over? And I was like, yeah, of course I can. My general rule is if I need help getting over an obstacle, then 
I should help someone else. So perhaps in the future, of, again, for the larger Tough Mudder community, if there's only two people pulling people up, maybe we need to start implementing that where when you get pulled up, you reach back and pull someone up. Because Francis and his team there were not, they were not doing well towards the end. There was some, they always have swollen hands, but with only two people, it was it was really rough this year. That's kind of a rundown of all the obstacles. Again, I, I like the direction we're heading. I like the more challenging obstacles. I like the longer penalties. I think those are all good things. Just a couple minor tweaks on some of the obstacles. And again, that's just my opinion. If this was your first World's Toughest or you're coming to World's Toughest in the future, I always recommend people stick around for Monday for the brunch. To me, that's the best part of the weekend. You just get to hang out with everyone, stress-free. You know, it helps ease some of the pain because I'm in pain essentially for the 24 hours after the race. And when I'm there at the brunch, I forget that I'm in pain. So I highly recommend people go to the brunch. It's just a good time. And you really get to see what the Tough Mudder community is all about. They not only recognize the overall champions, but they recognize age group champions, which is nice to see, especially considering this is a world championship event. They recognize community members for adhering to certain Tough Mudder values. They have like a Hall of Fame thing where they, they recognize people there. They recognize the Holy Grail champion. So shout out to Mark James' son, Orion, who ended up winning this year for the men. And then obviously you get to hear about what the next year's world's toughest venue is, which is Florida, if you're not tracking. Where they threw the pin on the map, it looks like it's somewhere near Orlando. Of course, that could have just been a, a blind point on the map and maybe someplace else in Florida. But Orlando seems like a pretty good guess with Disney uh, World being nearby. That seems like a good tourist destination. I think when World's Toughest is near a tourist destination, I think the turnout tends to be a little bit higher, right? So I think Vegas was a really good venue because people like to go to Vegas before or after the event. And if you're traveling from overseas or a really far trip, it gives you a, something to do before or after and have a memorable experience. Versus Atmore, Alabama. Um, only time I've ever <laughs> stayed in Alabama besides visiting some relatives that live in Mobile. Not really the tourist destination there. I think you're... For people who are traveling really far, that is less of a good location because they're not like, oh, we should totally stick around and hang out in Alabama for a couple more days. Or even Atlanta is not – I'm not a huge fan of Atlanta. It's not bad, but it's not It's not Vegas. And um, I actually don't even like Vegas that much, but I understand the tourist appeal to it. I'm also going to drop some articles in the show notes, so make sure you check out the show notes. I wrote an article about what happens to your body after uh, 24 hours of World's Toughest Mudder for the OCR report. I think it was last year I wrote it. It's a good breakdown. Covers a lot of the immediate post-race pain, uh, some of the other health issues that accompany it, and then kind of how long it takes to fully recover. So I don't know if you can hear it in my voice and some of my coughs, but I've been sick for the last week, so I haven't really been interested in even recording, uh, which is also why I just decided to do this on my own, knock it out, and get something put out to you guys as soon as possible. But then also mentally, it kind of drains me. So I usually like read a lot or watch documentaries or research martial arts stuff or something like something like that in my free time and with world stuff as mutter being exhausting i i've just been watching like mindless tv and death scrolling on my phone so it takes takes a little bit more out of me quick on my personal performance i ended up hitting 80 miles which is a little bit lower than normal for me not my worst performance but uh subpar for me as a general rule with the more penalties which again i usually take little to no penalties I still covered closer to 90 miles, which is kind of normal, and then I, I finished with about an hour and a half remaining, just not fast enough to squeeze in one more lap. 
So leg running wise, I was physically about the same. It's just the course, kind of the way things played out, uh, made me only hit 80 miles this time. Again, like I've said on other podcasts, both mine and on the obstacle course racing media, which I was on right before World's Toughest, those penalty miles don't count. So when people ask me how far I ran, 80 it is. I ran 80 miles at World's Toughest for 2023. I also had Mike Stefano from Obstacle Running Adventures ask me if this was going to be my last individual World's Toughest mutter. I had posted that I would likely be my last individual one on Instagram uh, probably about a week before the race. And likely, that is likely the case. Unless something drastic changes, I will switch the team or switch in a, come in a different capacity next year. Maybe do media if I decide not to do team. Or maybe help out at one of the obstacles. We'll see. Nothing personal. I just, after nine years and the amount of time it requires to train and prepare for something, a 24-hour championship at the level I would like to perform at, just a lot of time taken away. And probably the biggest reason is... Again, not because of Tough Mudder, just me personally. I was just not having fun at this World's Toughest. I didn't really have fun at the Infinity I did this year. I didn't really have fun at the Toughest uh, individual I did this year. And I didn't really have fun at World's Toughest. Again, nothing to do with Tough Mudder. It's just me personally. Could be stuff in my personal life. Could be just that I've spent over a month of my life running OCR on courses and some of the magic has worn off. But some of the luster is, is definitely gone for me personally. Doesn't mean I'm leaving the sport. Just means I'm going to kind of scale back. I'm also kind of close to some of the goals I wanted to hit. I'm at 96 podiums, so I'm hoping to hit 100 in early 2024. And then my kids are getting a little older, so, uh, you know, like to. We used to take them to every race, and now we only take them to kind of close races. So, you know, just weighing my options of where I want to put forth effort and time uh, for training and racing. And I mentioned this on both my podcast, and I think I wrote, I said something similar on when I was on Obstacle Course Racing Media's podcast. But you know, motivation will get you to the start line, and for me, that was tr- very true this year. Right? It's easy to sign up for the event, but at the end of the day, discipline is what takes you to the finish. Right? So I didn't, wasn't feeling particularly good during the race. I, I mean, I wasn't feeling terrible, but I wasn't. It wasn't like in my normal zone that I get in on a lot of endurance events, and. Uh, Looking for a reason to quit. Couldn't find a good one. So, you know, <laughs> there I was. I was like, all right, well, uh, I, I I, can't quit. It's just simply not an option. So we're going to continue to do this. So motivation will get you to the start line, but discipline will take you to the finish, right? And that's what, for me, that was really my theme for Infinity, Toughest Individual, and World's Toughest this year. I think it's easy to have a bad race or things aren't going your well, and you're like, all right, well, I'm, this isn't fun, so I'm just going to quit. But as I've talked about before, I think that begets more quitting, right? Everything in obstacle course racing that I've accomplished and then in my military career and martial arts and all the other kind of challenging things I've done, at some point, it is not fun, 100%, whether it be training or even in the middle of the race. At some point, it's not fun, you know, but anything worth having requires a little bit of suffering. And so I I suffered my way to a 14th place overall finish. Uh, I ended up finishing second in my age group, which is pretty good. Happy with that for a world championship level event, instead of calling it and you know having a having a bad year. Also, want to give a shout out. The Holy Grail for this year was the kind of standard one from the last couple of years. That nice plaque looking thing, that metal Holy Grail. But they also had an ad on this year where you could buy like a life size version of the Holy Grail, like it looks in the picture. I think it was about a hundred bucks. Uh, super cool looking. If I didn't have so much 
other OCR accoutrement and kind of crap in my house, I would have bought it. Or if it was kind of like a bucket list thing, I thought it was really cool. Not worth for me personally spending that much money, but uh, if you know Holy Grail is one of your big goals for the year, I would definitely pick it up because it is pretty cool. And it basically holds a beer, so you just stack a beer in there on top or a seltzer, whatever you're drinking. And then you can drink out of this ridiculously looking skull with a spine attached to it and the crown into the head. All right, I think that kind of wraps things up. Just a quick podcast for this one. World's Toughest Mudder is something you're interested in. Definitely pick up my book, Ultra OCR Bible. It's on Amazon Digital, or if you want like a signed copy, you can order it directly off the TeamStrengthSpeed.com website. I also recommend picking up my biography, Ultra OCR Man. Covers some war stories, but then also some of the endurance charity events I've done. You can get that one on hard copy digital or audiobook. I recommend the audiobook just because you can listen to it while you go for a run or driving to and from work. Give you that little bit of extra motivation. Then if you're interested in more endurance stuff but not necessarily obstacle course racing or if you're if it's obstacle course racing, my other book on endurance. So I took lessons from the 200 plus podcasts I've done and pulled them and made it kind of an applicable. Here's how to use this, these life lessons from different athletes to apply specifically for endurance. Other than that, I'm going to try to publish my next book, The Sponsored Athlete, before, right around Thanksgiving, maybe a little bit after. So for those of you who are looking to plan your 2024 race calendar, want to save some money in supplement shoes, travel, race entries, etc., Sponsored Athlete is going to be a good book for you. It talks about how to essentially get free stuff or reduce costs for your racing. And you don't need to have a million Instagram subscribers to do it. You just need to put in a little bit of extra motivation and uh, you know produce some stuff for some people so make sure you go check that out that'll be on amazon and also off my website for hard copies and then finally if your hands were cold bleg mitts only u.s distributor bleg mitts teamstrengthspeed.com go check it out or yourself a pair great for christmas presents for people no need to wait around till black friday uh, deanna basically sets the price so i just kind of follow along so we won't be doing any black friday sales or anything like that so order them with plenty of time so you can get them in time for Christmas and stocking stuffers, etc. Final shout out to all the people who said hi to me on the course. I felt like there was, I felt like almost everyone I ran past said something, and it was just, just overwhelming to hear. I recognize some of the names, some of the people. I, I'm honestly not sure who they were, but I, I really appreciate anyone who gave me a shout out on course. Had one person be like, "Oh, you're the podcast guy." I was like, "All right, cool, yeah, that's me, I guess." Had another guy from the UK see my last name and he was like oh you're like a legend you're a legend here and I was like that seems seems very much but I appreciate it so really cool the community is phenomenal and honestly if the community wasn't this good uh you know I don't think we'd see some of these champions coming back right Stephanie Bishop uh Amelia Boone was there again uh this year pre-race I don't think I saw her post-race but I saw her at the start line and congrats to all the podium finishers, Chris Riglowski. Another another win for her. We'll see how long this rain lasts. Could be uh could be the start of a new era here. And again, happy to see Austin win. Long time world's toughest motor competitor. Not gonna give a shout out to every podium finisher, but make sure you go check them out. Some some great athletes on the men and females podium and even in the, you know, top ten for both uh male and female categories. All right, we'll see you in a week or two with a guest, and catch you later. Enjoy the night.